Hi, welcome to The Zenial Dome with me, Essex Sears. And me, Gareth Gwynn. This is the podcast for those born between 1977 and 1985, or to put it another way, those who know what Celebdac is. <laughs> I don't think I really do know what do you it know, is. Right. Not really, no. It was a weird thing that was a website and a BBC3 show. Okay. And you went on the website and you bought stocks and shares in celebrities. Oh, I've, okay. So you got given like a pot of money at the start. Yeah. Okay, you've got £10,000. And then you went on the website and you went, I'm going to invest my money in, oh, let's think it'll be 2002, three, I guess. Yeah. So I'm going to put it into Katie Price. Right. And I'm going to put it into Rude Hullet or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Great references. So you pop your money into them. And yeah. then over time, they would calculate how much column inches they got. Oh. And then there were winners and losers according to like how would, their stock rose and fell. Okay. Would it depend on how good that stock was? Was it quality or just quantity? Oh, I think... Oh, good question. I think it was quantity. <laughs> okay. I think it was just like, are they in the press a <laughs> right. lot? Right. Okay. Um, I mean, I, anyone can be in the press if they really want to be. Well, this is someone who works in PR or used to, used to work in PR coming to the... You'd have been great at it. You <laughs> oh, could, let's resurrect it. it. Insider trading, <gasps> basically. For celebs. Well, I'm, I'm certain if the celebs website still exists i will have an account <laughs> i am gonna desperately see if celebdac the website still exists and if i can still log into it um, <laughs> while you listen to this week's episode <laughs> um, and who do we have this week Gareth? this week oh this was so exciting oh, so we um th- this week we are speaking to um, an actual MP in the yeah. House of Commons. Sometimes you can just email people and they will respond. And they, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, she's absolutely fantastic. There's, it's, it's a packed show. So uh, please enjoy the House of Commons's Jess Phillips. Yep, yep, the end of 1981, but yep, 1981. I was 1981 as well, but I think you're the end of the year, so... You would have been in a year younger than me. We're in different school years, my friends. Yeah, which means we, could, we can't be friends. No, no, no nothing in common. <laughs> <laughs> my, my best friend Jess, who's also called Jess because all girls born in 1981 are called Jess or Amy. Um, <laughs> are, it, she is August, like the end of August okay. in um, 1981. And uh, I, I am the 9th of October, 1981, and she still, to this day, refers to me as being a year younger than her. <laughs> I'm like, Jessie was six weeks older than me. Um, um, she's just like, oh, obviously, Jess is a year younger than her. So I'm like, oh, I'm not a year younger than you. She will no, never understand what we've yeah. seen. <laughs> and I mean, Gareth is even younger than us. So, I mean, we don't even know Gareth exists. Boys from younger years. Yeah. Not a chance. Oh, yeah. Are you aware of this term, Zenial? Yeah, I am. Um, only because my children, who are nearly 18 and 14, are obsessed with the names of generations, mainly because I think their cousins, my nephews, are Generation Alpha, and they are jealous of that because they think that sounds incredibly cool. Oh, wow. It's quite sci-fi. It because is quite their sci-fi. Generations Z, I believe, my children. So they're sort of obsessed with this. Uh, to which then my husband, who is born 1978, uh, became really like, uh, I'm a proper Generation X and you're not. And I had always just thought I was Generation X. And then <laughs> I um, then I discovered 
this this crossover. But yeah, you'd be surprised how much generation chat goes on in my house. The, the, <laughs> the Ute them, they are interested in it. That's really weird because yeah. I was. Do, do, do you think there's anything in it? Like, if your husband is of a different generation to you, is it like it's it's there this huge thing that you'll never get over in the house? <laughs> I mean, he definitely like thinks it's much cooler, and he's not wrong to be Generation X than to be a millennial. Um, I, I never, in all that time of the chat about millennials, ever considered that I was a millennial. You know, you know, like when that first became a thing, that yeah. like basically they couldn't buy houses and they ate avocado um, yeah. Yeah. and spent all their money on Netflix or whatever it was that was being written in the Express slash Mail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that I, I always, I never ever, when reading all of those stories considered myself in that uh i mean a because i've got a house um <laughs> hey, no, no need to boast <laughs> and, or i've got a house genuinely because of the time when i was born um mm. and so i just didn't i didn't uh, yeah i didn't identify with that and then somebody a journalist wrote to me and said oh we're looking for millennial mps to to talk to about this and i was like well don't look over here. I'm Generation X. <laughs> so I, I feel very much like myself and my husband are from the same culture. So no, yeah. I, I, I reject the millennial. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the micro generation of being a Zennial is your Switzerland in a way, in your household. That's your yeah. safe ground. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm not Switzerland, I'm rejecting the millennials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So when you're in your MP job and you get because everything's letters, I presume, which is very boomer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is there an element that you get a letter and you sort of go, "Oh, it's from this generation. Here we go. This will be the problem." Oh, a hundred, like a hundred percent. You could definitely tell which generation people are from. Well, by the colour ink, or is um, there... well, I have to say, by the fact that they send a letter at all, actually, is very yeah. yeah, boomer. Yeah. Um, the kind of things that people are worried about are generational as well. Mm. Um, and not like the obvious things, like I can't afford to buy a house, which is a totally politically legitimate thing to be upset about. Um, but much more like, you know, sort of different. And, and this is just all polling companies will tell you this, that, you know, people who are worried uh, or, or feel worried about crime or worried about the treatment of criminals... <laughs> are usually from varying generations. I think what's interesting, though, focusing on the letter element of this specifically, um, I think even within the boomer generation, you could be able to separate out the boomers depending on what kind of letter they're writing. So my mum, for example, she would write her letters, and she probably still does, not on lined paper. She'll have a blank piece of paper with lined paper underneath it. So she still has the lines, yeah, but the lines aren't on the paper. And I think that's a specific type of boomer as um, well. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Also, the the most obvious thing about whether somebody is a boomer or even pre-boomer is if mm. they have those little stickers with their name and address oh, on it. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love those. I love those. I'll never get them, but I love them. Uh, those little stickers that you get from, I don't know, like the RSPB or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some people have their own gold ones. I don't know where they're getting those, but those are very much still in circulation. You know, yeah. you, you, know you never get, and I don't think my children have ever seen it, is like airmail. 
That doesn't, oh, yeah. airmail doesn't exist anymore. No, it doesn't. So actually, with the, the airmail thing, did did you do the thing that a lot of designers seem to have done and been had a German or Soviet Russian pen pal foisted upon them? I, I did. I absolutely had a pen pal. Uh, I went on a foreign exchange, which again, nowadays, it just seems like a safeguarding nightmare that doesn't exist. But I went on a German exchange because uh, I did German at school. It was one of the most memorable experiences of my life. So it wasn't like a classic exchange where we went there and, and they came here. It's just we went over to stay with a German family. We went with our school and I was staying with my um, friend uh, Diana Ichoma. Um, we didn't speak any German. So we were in this house with this family. The young, they were lovely and everything. But when we got there, it was like nine o'clock at night. And they said, they said, do you want to go to bed? But what we thought, because of the international hand signal of putting your hand up by your head, was not sleep, was, do you want to ring home? <laughs> we said, no, we'll do it in the morning. Um, <laughs> so they just left us in this dark room. <laughs> and then we just sort of sat there and didn't know what to do. Hilarious things. But I really struck up a friendship with... Um, I basically got in trouble for smoking whilst on this trip. Was forced to spend the time that everybody else got free in like Frankfurt or wherever it was. Uh, Cologne, it was Cologne, um, with my teacher. So I'd write these letters after after we'd come home. I'd write these letters to this German girl. Obviously, I was rubbish at German. It should be Comrade Bestens and Van Hoppet. Again, Sie Geradres, Uber die Ampel, and Van Hoppet's direct and sire. is literally the only thing that I learned. In the whole of German GCSE. But um, <laughs> so I would get my German teacher to read them. And she'd written things like, I hope that bitch of a German teacher is no. <laughs> smoking. Like, yes, please. <laughs> and my German Amazing. teacher was actually really lovely. <laughs> I'd just like to say, Frau, Frau Butler, you're a nice woman. You didn't deserve that. <laughs> Was was Frau Butler actually German, or was she one of these teachers no. who were just called Frau something yeah. just because they thought, yeah? But we always <laughs> said Frau, Frau Butler. Yeah, I know it's really weird because mo- all well, most of my teachers at school had very Welsh surnames, so it would be something like you know, Madame Owens, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Fra- Frau Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely signed up to like some sort of pen pal scheme, and I not a, not a single pen pal wrote back. Oh, I, wrote, oh, yeah. I have fired letters to. I, I I can't remember how it came about. But I definitely had an address for French kid. Wrote to the French kid. French kid never replied. <laughs> um, there was another one, and then I went. Maybe it's because I'm trying to do this in a different language. Let's let's. So I remember just going, I don't think this is real. I'll have a pen pal in America. And I remember writing a letter to a kid in the Bronx, because that was quite exciting. But like, the Bronx, when you're like 13, you're like, wow, this is... <laughs> yeah, they didn't reply either. So oh. I, I think somewhere Royal Mail had this like just big warehouse of blue letters. Yeah. My kids, um, my kids write letters. We've got one, and I have tried to instill it in them. My son, Danny, writes always to Auntie Liz in Sheffield. She wrote that, have a constant correspondence in letters which i've tried to encourage because when i was at glastonbury we're writing Auntie liz a postcard from glastonbury and i'm in the festival not just a place 
and this uh, a, a kid. She wasn't a kid. She was about twenty. I mean, admittedly, she was quite drunk. She came over and she was like, oh, how do I do this? Like, she didn't know how to write an address on something. She was was like, well, who are you writing it to? And she was like, oh, you know, she told me the name. And then she was like, "What? well, I was like, where do they live? And she's like, oh, I'm not sure. I was like... (laughs) This is unbelievable that you do not know how to do this. So I, then when I was going over to pay, I said to the people uh, who were like running the store, I was like, check this out. She doesn't know how to write a letter. And they literally got out like a handful of people who'd written the letters but not put an address on it. I was like that. Oh, oh my God. That is a generational divide, isn't it? Like we wrote letters. That's amazing. We were taught to write yeah. letters in school. And never yeah. since in my life have I written a letter that had the address on one side and then on the other side like that. <laughs> Oh, I, if I ever have to like write a formal letter, it's like, hmm, they're going to tell this is a complaint. I'm going to write my address in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because the only reason um, my, I'm passing it on to my kids, um, they're really young, but we've got a post box right outside the house. So it feels like we should be using it. Um, and they love it. But I, I was telling Gareth the other day how... Um, my son, one of one piece of homework he had last week, he's six years old, and his homework was to learn his address. But it wasn't for letter writing. It's just for a safeguarding thing. <laughs> because because they had a policeman in, in school for like a day. And he said, you really need to learn your addresses, kids. <laughs> <laughs> phenomenal that people don't yeah. have their addresses. I know. Absolutely phenomenal. I am like flabbergasted by some of the things that they do and don't know like yeah. uh, like it's a cultural void between us and that just makes me feel really old yeah but, but i think because i think that reaction is because some of these things that they don't need to know about anymore were, were so drilled into us and we were told that we had to know these things when we were younger that now when we see people who don't who have no need for these things we're like oh what <laughs> you still remember anyone's landline number? Oh, I remember everybody's landline number. Uh, um, weird, I remember. <laughs> I literally remember every single person I grew up with's landline number. I mean, we like recite them to each other. Um, and this is a bit like my my mum. She remembered her mum's co-op Dibby number, um, <laughs> which is was her pin code on her bank card. And I right. think that for our generation, that's what that is like. That's like knowing your. I mean, to be fair. My dad still has the same phone number, so uh, <laughs> I do remember it, although I never, ever call him on it. But, um, yeah, I remember everybody's phone number, the phone number for my doctor. I, I remember the phone number for the phone box um, by my friend Isolt's house um, because her mom, had, they had like a payphone in their house uh, to stop them using the phone. Um, and so wow. she would go to the, she would go to like the, the payphone and it had like a lock on it, a lock on the phone. So we would ring her at the payphone. So I remember the payphone on uh, outside um, what is now the climbing wall in Borsal Heath in Birmingham. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I absolutely remember. And recently, because I obviously we I, I ring landlines a lot because we do a lot of telephone canvassing mm-hmm. during an election. And um, recently I rang a number that had been reassigned uh, and it was uh, my my one of my best mates, Marcella's parents' phone number, and but it wasn't them. It had been reassigned. Oh, that's weird. Oh, wow. And I was like that. Oh my god, 
And I was expecting like Mag's her mum to answer the face. <laughs> yeah. My nan's telephone number <laughs> it exists in my constituency and it isn't my nan's telephone number anymore. Oh. <laughs> That's I a know, weird it's mad, thought. Isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what do you know what's just occurred to me though is that I remember so when when we first started getting mobile phones I would remember some people's mobile phone numbers as well. So there's at least three ex-boyfriends. I still know their mobile numbers. <laughs> because, because it was that crossover from learning numbers, landline numbers. My yeah, friend so Catherine, if... who was, she was an only child. She lived in the big houses. And she had a mobile she she had a mobile phone before anybody else. She didn't it didn't have an 07 number, it had an 04 number. And when they transitioned over to having an 07 number, hers transitioned, so it just changed the 04 to an 07. And to this day she still has the same mobile telephone number some twenty-five years later. Wow. And hers is the only mobile number I know of by heart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that when we're all old and senile and we can barely remember anything and we'll need to ring someone, you'll be ringing your friend, I'll be ringing my ex-boyfriend. Yes. (laughs) I'm still very much friends with Catherine, so it is absolutely fine. My mum's mobile phone number, and obviously I won't say it's on a podcast, but it is so catchy that when she writes it down, you know like when they say, what's your mobile phone number? She'll hand it over on form so people go, that's a good number. Yes. Like, <laughs> my husband's is like that. My husband's is the kind of ones that there was some, uh, you know, I don't know, urban myth uh, in the uh, late 90s about how, like, drug dealers would buy really, like, good phone numbers. Catchy uh, numbers. My, my husband's <laughs> is like that. It's like, yeah. it's basically, it's basically like the, uh, what was what was the going live one? 081 811 Yeah. <laughs> like that but not that yeah my mum my mum's is like if in doubt just keep pounding the same button until yeah, you get yeah, through to yeah. someone it's like that's all 081 811 8181 never you never you never forget it do you no no, no. forget it and then it changed 0181 and then that ruined it yeah that's changed yeah. the song yeah, yeah. ruined <laughs> um what was the first website you remember visiting my friend helen she had the internet before everybody else. Uh, you know, when we all, when we all, our idea of it being exciting was when you got those CDs of that encyclopedia. What was that? Oh, in, in Carter. 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 Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I had forgotten they existed. So she, but she was on the internet um, and uh, we used to go around and go in chat rooms at her house. And I remember, you know, when you see an age girl and you, uh, well, or, or boy, I'm sure this is the same. <laughs> you can convince yourself. It's why Ouija boards work, basically, is that you will convince yourself that something is definitely happening. Um, that we were in what this chat room talking to someone and we were saying that there was a lightning storm. Um, and uh, they said, oh, my gosh, you got to get off the Internet. Uh, because it's dangerous. In a lightning storm. And then, I swear to God, the computer started smoking. <laughs> no, shut up. Of course it didn't. But in my head, that is the memory. So oh my, God. My, my sort of first memory of websites was going around to head. And, and it was, you know, very, very safe and secure in that her computer was like in the hallway of her house. 
Oh. Um, and so, like, her parents would be walking past while we were, like, in these chat rooms and things. But, yeah, it was the sort of chat room thing. I don't know what the website, because we were always at her house. But uh, my, my, vi- my vivid memory of that time was um, playing the Kevin Bacon game um, on the internet. So the, the, what's it called? The Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Six Degrees, oh, of, Kevin. Six yeah. degrees of Kevin yeah. Bacon. And I, I remember her brother, Dan, uh, putting in Chow Young Fat because we were like, you know, really into like Hong Kong cinema and things. <laughs> I mean, we were, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm so atypically a girl who fancied boys in the 90s um, <laughs> that I pretended to know a lot about Hong Kong cinema. Um, and um, I remember Chow Young Fat was like five, it was like the best one we got. So six degrees wow and now chow young fat i mean since then he's been in things with jodie foster and things i mean he's sort of ruined he's got mainstream yeah he's he's got totally mainstream (laughs) and now he's got like one degree of separation from kevin bacon (laughs) (laughs) that's really funny what you said though about being a a teenage girl and and the way you fancied boys in the 90s because my dream when i was growing up was that i would meet my future husband in the foreign film department of HMB. That was my <laughs> That was my absolute dream. Well, I, I mean, we there was a lad we fancied in our local HMB. I know him really well. So we used to just like loiter in there. Um his name was Ben. Uh, and my friend Marcella did eventually go out on a date with him. Um <laughs> which was turned out to be a disaster. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we used to like hang around. Also the HMB in Birmingham had a really fast glass lift. Oh, oh, yeah. Let's go That's up and cool. down in a fact. Virgin Mexico and Cardiff had a good lift. Mm-hmm. That was quite exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Something that's never come up either in any of these episodes yet is the Ouija board. You mentioned the Ouija board there because that feels like a very 90s thing. And I, because I, I, I was always worried because my parents are very religious and my mum. Like made like really scared me about Ouija boards and made sure that I never came across one. And I kept thinking, was it just my house that was obsessed with Ouija boards? But I think it was. Oh no, no, no! They people, were massive. It? it was everywhere. We used to draw yeah. them on in our like, exercise books and like do Ouija boards at the back of the classroom in school with like a template sheet. <laughs> that ends like really performatively taking uh, like the contraceptive pill in class, which maybe you didn't do. Um, in, um, <laughs> In your very religious household. But uh, like th- those two things are my main memory of girls showing off in, in school, very performatively taking the contraceptive pill uh, and um, playing Ouija board. Oh, yeah, we used to That's Ouija so board all the time. Obviously, classic one. We never had an actual Ouija board. We just made them ourselves. But classic one was like, you know, like the, an upside down turned shop glass. Classic. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we we did a lot of Ouija boarding. I can't remember a single person who spoke to us. <laughs> well, had anyone ever died in the French class? Still the lady <laughs> <in> the <laughs> school. <laughs> I, think, I think the building my French class was in was built in like 1970. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite unlikely. But could have done. Could have done. Big question that we like to ask everyone. Do you remember where you were when Diana died? I absolutely remember it vividly. We were talking about it just the other day because I was with one of the people I was with. So um, I was um, at my friend Helen's house. Her parents had gone away somewhere. Um, I was 16 or 15, nearly 16. Um, And I was like lay on the floor 
on a mattress in her, uh, and there was p- other people sleeping in other rooms of the house. And uh, my mate Marcella came in and said, oh my God, Diana's died. And we were all just like, whatever. And sort of like rolled over <laughs> and went back to sleep. Uh, I've no idea what time in the morning it was or if it was in fact the afternoon, who knows. But uh, then uh, we all just sat around <laughs> Um, watching like Diana Vision for like days, yeah. like even the box I think had become Diana Vision, um, and we just like watched the rolling broadcast and listened to Diana by Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, the boomer question of this is where were you when JFK died? And my dad absolutely insists he can't remember. Oh, he absolutely insists that that's a miss. But that's because he's he's a contrarian. (laughs) Thinking about the number of times we've asked people, and they're always like, at a friend's house. We've woken up. No one has woken up in the normal place. (laughs) But I think that's because it was the end of the summer. Do you know what I mean? It was the summer holidays. holiday. Yeah. And I think it's a real snapshot of like what you were doing that summer. Yeah, I mean, I literally just lay around my friend Helen's house while her parents were on holiday <laughs> for the entirety of almost every summer in the 90s. Uh, her parents were like smoked, basically. Was the reason <laughs> <laughs> because you could smoke. Also, they had a deep freeze in, you know, like a, uh, like a chest freezer in their shed and it was always full of food. So it's like, you know, wow. two, two yeah. plus. Two plus points, and she had a phone in her room. <laughs> that's that's very American. That's very um, Saved by the Bell, isn't it? Also, it was a ham- well, It started off as a frog phone, and then it was a ham- the hamburger phone, the classic hamburger oh, phone classic. from Home and Away. Oh wow, that's really cool. It's funny though. I think because most people during that time, because maybe new things were coming out. Um, would have a friend that they would go to to use something. So either it was a computer, like my friend Hannah. Um, she lived three doors down and um, I'd go over there all the time because she was allowed um, to watch Channel 4 late at night. <laughs> the word. Yeah, basically. And, um, oh, Euro Trash. Euro Trash, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was the house I'd go to to watch stuff my parents wouldn't have <laughs> Yeah, so definitely. Uh, recently, we did up my son's, uh, he's got an attic bedroom and we, we did it up. And put like a telly in there. I mean, he, making out like he's some sort of child. He's eighteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> some of his friends came over on that night. When I say some, I came home and there's like nineteen pairs of shoes downstairs. <laughs> and, and my husband was like, very clearly, we are not becoming that house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your friends can come over occasionally, but we will not be that house where all the kids are there. <laughs> Which is what my mate Helen's house was, definitely. Oh, I, th- I think, yeah, you need one of those houses. It's like a refuge, mm. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, to, to do like a 360 back to the letter writing, were you ever a member of a fan club? I'd, um, I don't think I was particularly. By the 90s, when I was an actual fan of things, I was way too cool for that. I mean, all this, <laughs> I, can't, I cannot express to you right, how cool I was. <laughs> we'll have to take your word for it. Oh, so cool. 
<laughs> okay. My contraceptive pills and <laughs> and your your Ouija board at the back of your exercise book. Yeah, I was the coolest. I would never. I, I didn't even hang around with people in my own year. That was too lame. <laughs> oh, so maybe we would have been friends well, oh, we if you were friends would. with older to be honest, girls. Then... You're a little young. Yeah, that was <laughs> <laughs> two years above only. Did you wear a shell suit on own clothes day? If you're the cool one in school, what are you wearing to my clothes? I'm just going to tell you that I didn't. I, I, I almost certainly did wear a shell suit at, at one own clothes, but my primary school you didn't have to wear uh, uniforms, so I just wore a shell suit all the time. Um, <laughs> but I remember my first ever non-uniform day at secondary school. I wore <laughs> um, a Nirvana t-shirt that said motherfuckers on the back. Whoa. So my (laughs) mum sewed a patch over the word. (laughs) (laughs) I was 11 years old. Perfect. That's perfect. I I like that there's there's a compromise there. She hasn't gone, you're not wearing the... Like... Another item of clothing would have been available, but no, we didn't. We don't go down that road. So yeah. I wore that, like black leggings, Doc Martin boots. So you know, by the time I was at secondary school, I was I was way past the the sort of shell suit. But I definitely, I mean, I wore a shell suit a lot. I remember my brother absolutely like like begging my parents, like actually the sort of cheap shell suit off the market was the you know that was the pinnacle. Uh, um, that I remember he had a, like a Puma one and he thought it was a bit too posh. <laughs> <laughs> the other day he had his hair all spiked up and I was like, oh my God, you look like you did in the 1980s. Like, you know, when kids, boys have really spiky hair. I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, you look like Luke from the, Luke from the 80s. <laughs> oh, that was my jam in primary school when I was about nine years old. There's a boy in my class called Mark Morris, if he's listening, and he had the best spiky hair, and I loved it. It was a really <laughs> big thing, wasn't it? Boys with yeah. spiky hair. And I noticed that when like the the fashions come back, and obviously the nineties is really back at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like my kids, Bird. my kids all and their girlfriends are all wearing clothes that we wore in the nineties, although not. Quite the same. No. But, uh, they, do, you know. they, don't, they don't have a patch over the swear words on their t-shirts. <laughs> you know, I actually liked Nirvana. Um, but um, the, uh, the the spiky hair thing never came back in any of the 80s revivals, I note. No, no. it really didn't. My, my youngest yeah. son has a full-on mullet, though. So, Oh, my God. And he's got black hair, and he dyed it peroxide blonde. So <laughs> it's, like, it's wow. now like a skunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing though, isn't it? The mullet is back. It hundred percent is. So you're a Zenial, you work in politics. I presume you watched Margaret Thatcher on Saturday Superstable. Yes, I did. <laughs> what did she say that inspired you so much? <laughs> so many things. Um, <laughs> Funnily enough, I used to watch, when I was a kid, um, Promise Us Questions used to be on a Thursday. Now it's on a Wednesday. Uh, And my nan used to come over on a Thursday. I don't know how this arrangement started, but she came over, did the ironing, picked us up from school, and my granddad made the lawn. Basically, chink labour. On the child of my parents, I don't really know why. But But she would always watch PMQs whilst ironing. 
So I have, whenever I watch Margaret Thatcher on the television, which I used to do with my nan, and my nan, would, my nan was like a trade unionist, like, uh, I mean, she was an absolute firebrand socialist. Um, but so she would shout and stuff. But my memory of watching Margaret Thatcher is one that smells of like clean laundry and <laughs> being with my nan oh and my always God. like Thursdays were the best days because your nan gave you a ham sandwich and a Kit Kat whereas your mum gave you naffle <laughs> maybe because they weren't there when you got home from school because they were yeah. at work and that was completely yeah. legitimate when I was a child <laughs> yeah. that is not legitimate anymore um, like so I definitely definitely the fact that Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister when I was a kid definitely had an effect on me without doubt I can't like uh, whether it made you know in both socialism, but also in you know, it's no mistake that I watched a woman be the prime minister and just thought that was totally the norm. Yeah, yeah, because we did grow up, and th- like you said, it, she was just there all the time. There was never this big fanfare that we had to look at her and be like, "Look, she's a woman." She was just there. not at all. She would I... have scolded you severely. <laughs> <such a comment. laughs> But I love how messed up and nostalgic and emotive Margaret Thatcher is to you because of your nan. I love it. It It's like a weird fever dream of both. I mean, her name was literally a swear word in my household. Uh, And so, yeah, it it is a weird mix of emotions. But when I watch her back, regardless of her politics and the terrible things she did, she was utter class at what she did. Like when I watch like the interviews now, my dad, who literally it was, I'm not joking. It was a swear word to say. I mean, we <laughs> sang ditty songs about her demise. <laughs> um, but my dad, when Boris Johnson was the prime minister, he said, it's come something when you think Margaret Thatcher wasn't that bad. <laughs> like that. Jesus Christ, yeah. alive, yeah, yeah. man. I think it was that level of professionalism that yes. was missed. It was the fact that you knew what the job was. So regardless of whether um, you agreed with the politics, you could see that they were uh, like st- statemently, similarly to being a president, I think. The fact that, you know, kids in America will always revere the president, regardless of the politics, because of the role, because of how they look on the global stage, because of how they act, which again has obviously been damaged over the last <laughs> few years. 100%. But, you I mean, know, I but it was she that... never went on a podcast and talked about, you know, performatively taking the uh, contraceptive pill. <laughs> <laughs> I did it in her Britain. So whatever, <laughs> Max, uh, you made me. Um, so uh, it was definitely a Tory government when I was performatively uh, taking the contraceptive pill. I would love it. Like, obviously, she took away the milk, but I'd love it if you were downing contraceptive pill with free milk. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Um, but she, I, re- I vividly remember the salmonella thing because I remember our lunchboxes had to be inspected to see if we had eggs in them. Oh, really? Like, absolutely vividly. And I remember wow. that day I had a pepperoni. It's <laughs> 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 the weird things that stick with you. But yeah. anyway, yeah, I, I vividly remember those uh, the years of Margaret Thatcher. She played. She was she was a bit like Princess Diana. She was a bit like a member of my family. She was so ever present because we talked about her literally every single day <laughs> about what she had been doing. <laughs> it was like she was there. But when you watch the interviews back, like there is never and and of course you can curate history, and it has undoubtedly been curated. And I only see the things that are class. But, like, she doesn't ever stumble when answering a question. Now, the media has definitely got more 
aggressive, without doubt, and says she wasn't up against the same uh, as people are maybe today. However, like, she's... Her performances, I don't agree with a single word she said, but they are flawless. Yeah. Unrecognisable world. And in some ways, it's good that it's unrecognisable, like, that, that sort of polish, that sort of certainty and never questioning is not always a good thing, but, like, you know, I, I don't think we can undermine what an incredible performer she was. So, yeah, you know, I, I definitely grew up with Mrs. Thatcher, a massive part of my life. Considering we grew up with, with her then, do you think that we have a dis- different perspective on the political landscape compared to our parents? Because she was just there and it was just normal. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe. Um, yeah, I think that... I mean, the women thing, definitely, she doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for, uh, uh, even though she was an actual anti-feminist and uh, <laughs> did literally nothing to advance the the women in the country and or women in Parliament um, yeah. during her time in office. But you, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that I undoubtedly, when you grow up with that rather than, and especially because she was a woman who was perceived by most of the people I knew as evil, her... The fact that she was a woman was irrelevant. Yeah. Um, whereas I suppose to a little kid, watching it with your nan, when the people who are around you are political, are the women. You know, as a kid, that was definitely going to mm. sink in, isn't it? Yeah. So when the first time you voted, which which would, what would that have been? Would that have been the 2000? So the first time I voted, I think it was uh, I was in I was at Leeds University by this point, so I voted okay. for Hillary Benn. Would that be two thousand and one? Is that right? Yeah. Did you think I'll be doing this for myself in a few years' time? Was that like <laughs> absolutely no. <laughs> not? <laughs> absolutely not. This is the difference between Generation X and the Millennials. Is did you vote for the Labour government in the in the ninety seven election? So my husband voted for the first time. He was 18 in 1997 right. in the election. And he genuinely believes that it was him that changed it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and my son is about to turn 18 and we'll get to vote oh. in the general election. And wow. so I'm hoping very much that he will now get to be like, yeah, I changed the government. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, that's that's the kind of confidence that only a man can have. <laughs> yeah. Also, he lived in a relatively safe Labour seat, so his vote made yeah. literally zero <laughs> difference. But, all right, mate, whatever. Um, I didn't like to tell you to say that to him at the time because I knew him at the time. But, um, you know, whatever. Uh, no, I definitely didn't. I definitely didn't think the first time I voted that um, I remember th- how important it felt to me, though. And because I was at university and I was a- away from, um, I remember this so vividly. I feel a bit sad saying this. I remember my mum was at the county in Birmingham and I was watching the general election on television in Leeds and my mum waved at me. <laughs> was oh, wave at me. <laughs> <laughs> because I grew up in a family that was politically active. Yeah. Um, so I was in Leeds and I was away from that sort of political activism. And in 2001, political activism was very, you know, it was it was much more muted than it had been in my childhood because we won. <laughs> yeah. So we were yeah. fighting to retain rather than um, than to, to change it over. And I remember being really moved the first time I voted, but how little fanfare to be around me. 
Whereas had I been at home, like a big deal would have been made about that, like a big, yeah. big deal. Yeah. That's really interesting because we were wondering um, when we were preparing to talk to you whether activism had played a big part when you were growing up. Because I think personally, I have quite a skewed view on it because I grew up in a Welsh language family and I was taking on a lot of Welsh language marches in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I constantly think, oh God, was it just that? You know, would anyone else my age have, have gone on marches or had gone to protest or had done any kind of activism at that point? Was was that the case for you? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I... My first memories are like a balloon releasing something about nuclear weapons or I, I went to women's liberation play group. So my childcare was an activist group. Gosh. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I've got I've got the mug of this the sort of anniversary of women's liberation play group, which was set up by a group of women, including my mum. Um, so that women could get to work. There was no formalised childcare. So, yeah. and uh yeah, I I I, I have absolutely no idea whether I would have involved myself in political activism in my life had I not grown up in that. Um, but I, I also don't really know that many people who, who didn't because all of my friends and family, most people I knew were activists. I, I know I, I, when I was a teenager, I was an absolute, in the end, the, there's all death rows of the Tory government under major. I was a massive activist and, and like loads of my social life I mean, mainly because I love to go to raves and they were trying to ban them, if you remember at the time. <laughs> yeah, with the criminal justice bill. Uh, and I remember like going along at 15 to like the Friends of the Earth Cafe uh, where you could only have hummus and carrots. Uh, and, um, and like basically all these sort of men uh, sitting around and basically just taking over this sort of campaign session age 15. Um, because I I grew up, I grew up in uh, Roll Your Sleeves Up and Organised House I grew up in a house where if something isn't good, try and change it. Like, like that. Undoubtedly, I wouldn't be where I am without that. There's no two ways about that. Like, but I mean, there are people who do have a different like upbringing. I mean, Liz Truss. Mm-hmm. She did grow yeah. up with activist parents. <laughs> yeah. Just against herself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's interesting, I think, because as a generation, I think be- because we straddled the analog and digital, and we felt like we were we were coming into this new exciting age that our parents didn't understand. But politically, your parents have such an influence on you politically, especially when you're growing up. And like you said, you know, my mum was was very much the driver when it came to activism in our house. And I, I think it's inevitable then that even though I might think that I'm the radical one, <laughs> it kind of came from her. Oh, 100%. Uh, I mean, funnily enough, my parents' radicalism, uh, I mean, they're, they're way more radical than me in lots and lots of ways because they had to be because actually it's much more easy for me to be radical. They were quieter about it and more organised though in lots of ways. Like the sort of showy nature of activism wasn't um, as much a part of my childhood. It was about ends and means it was practical stuff like and that definitely has influenced me later in life it wasn't about going and shouting at people it was about well there isn't any formalized childcare, so let's i mean let's literally set it up so that women can go to work so that there isn't a practical outcome and whilst there the women who we are benefiting from this was you know as part of the women's movement we'll seek to get them elected so one of the women who set it up was elected onto the council and then uh, ran for parliament. Yeah, activism was always about what outcome. 
yeah. you get out of it. Yeah, the the sort of digital generation activism, I think sometimes missing a bit. <laughs> like, yeah. what's the outcome, people? The, the fight yeah. isn't the outcome. Yeah, the fight is the fun bit to get the outcome. Like, yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. that I think is definitely I worry really about the sort of generation that comes after where a digital outcome seems like an outcome to somebody. Yeah, I've never considered it that, that way before, but you're right. Yeah, I, it's it's the whole armchair activism thing as well, isn't it? It's, it's, it's feeling like you're doing something when you're not really. It's like people say to me, oh, you don't care about this because you haven't tweeted about it. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> I also haven't tweeted that I really like Finder's Crispy Pancakes and yet that is the count. <laughs> <laughs> which flavour, which, which filling do you prefer? Really? I'm I'm a cheese the cheesy one. <laughs> oh. Cheese and ham or four cheese. I don't like the mint sweet ones because they were the only ones you could actually get in the eighties. And I didn't like them. Um actually I hated them when I was a kid and then I rediscovered them. <laughs> Is there anything that you would put into the Zenial Dome? Because of the difference I see between my generation and the one that came after me. Um, in this regard, I'm going to put a pack of Microgynon 60, which was the contraceptive pill that we all before the symphony took. <laughs> and literally everybody was on either Celeste or Microgynon 60. Uh, and I, I think that it is the, you know, for me as a feminist, it sort of straddles the two. So I, I'm from the era of teenage pregnancy um, and also then the end of that era. Like, then, so right. now... You just, it just, it literally just is almost like non-existent now compared oh. to what it was when I was at school. There were girls in my school who had babies, but it also, it is that bridging between the sort of obsession of Generation X, actually, of the sort of movements that had come before them. Actually, yeah. they were just like obsessed with like Jimi Hendrix and the doors and all of that. <laughs> there is something about that, that, that generation of sort of feminism that meant that the, the contraceptive pill was so very, very like such a massive win. But actually, it was my generation that actually finally got yeah. the benefit of that, mainly by looking cool in class. <laughs> but microgynon is, is a word i haven't heard in years and it's it's very triggering yes. <laughs> but the morning after pill as well felt like quite a late well, that, that was early that was definitely thing. yeah it was invented in our era and i did loads of campaigning funnily enough um around like the cost of it and being able to get it across the counter and not like having to see like 15 doctors yeah. Uh, I remember being asked. Um, I mean, obviously, I took uh, the morning after pill in the in the nineties uh, when it was first uh, available, um, and it, you constantly told that you were going to feel really sick all the time. And so, actually, I didn't feel sick, but because obviously, you never took the morning after pill without making sure that everybody at school knew. Um, and so, I remember having to performatively <laughs> pretend to feel sick. I didn't feel sick at all. <laughs> Otherwise, it would have been a non-event. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember when I had, when I had my baby, being in Sainsbury's. Uh, I was twenty-three years old, and I was in Sainsbury's in Kingsheath, where I live. And I, I had it was about a week old, and I, I literally like started to laugh and cry hysterically at once because I thought, oh, oh my god, you've got a baby. Did you just do this? <laughs> 
فاهم سو بدلت Whereas for their generation, it's just posting everything on on Instagram. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. Uh, you know that thing you said as well about it was the era of teenage pregnancy. Just the thinking about it now is like there was a plot in the Archers <laughs> about teenage pregnancy, which ended with I'm going to forget the character's name gave birth at Glastonbury. Oh, they, yeah. And they did this weird thing where they announced it over the tannoy of the actual Glastonbury, if I remember correctly, and then like <laughs> recorded it and then put it in the episode as if anyone in Glastonbury is like, well, now they've rounded that plot off <laughs> in the Archers. <laughs> it was sort of like a cultural, it was in dramas and it was in. Oh, yeah, like, and... um, what's her name in EastEnders had a baby. Sonia. She, Sonia. Yeah, and yeah. She didn't know that yeah. she was pregnant. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. It's just really interesting, like, those things that are tapping into the culture, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Are yeah. there any, um, are there any things from the Zenial era that you'd like to see resurgence of, or you'd like to see rebooted, or you'd like to see come back? I mean, they've rebooted. I remember so I don't vividly this debate happening in my RE class uh, about Sunday trading, uh, about yeah. whether, and I remember being, you know, because I was a fierce atheist, being fiercely. Wanting the shops to be open on a Sunday, like to the point of like, I'm going to become militant about this. I have a right <laughs> as an atheist in this country to sh- go to HMV and look at Ben um, <laughs> on a Sunday. I love how that was your church. Uh, yeah, that was my church. And I often think how sad it is that we don't have Sundays now like we did when I was a kid. <laughs> I, you know, I'm never really going to get that back. <laughs> yeah, where you had to just where you can't really do anything but walk around the block and yeah. like, find the packet of fags you've <laughs> hidden in the bush. <laughs> I'd like people's access to pornography to go back to being it was hidden in a bush. <laughs> yeah. That would be yeah. good. I would like basically access to contraband to go back to being <laughs> hidden in a bush somewhere. Those are two great answers. I, I remember with the Sunday trading thing, like it, it's coming in and our, so I I'm, I grew up Catholic and my, um, we had like a, one of the priests we had was quite, you know, he was, he was very Catholic, let's say that, probably. <laughs> and then I remember my mum bumping into him in Woolworths, like, <laughs> half an hour after after Mass on Sunday, going like, right, well, it can't be bad. <laughs> so what we'd like to do to sum up is we're going to fire quick fire questions at you. So the point is, is that you're not meant to think about these. It's like a gut reaction thing. Let's make a start. Oasis or Blair? Blair. Oh, good girl. <laughs> Fancy Damon Alba. Oh, he was the best. And because I think he had slightly spiky hair. Sorry, next question. Uh, <laughs> Ocean Colour Scene or Bentley Rhythm Ace? Uh, Ocean Colour Scene. Although I know both 
Obviously. Yeah. Thank you. Of course I do. They used to drink in the pubs. Oh, that's really cool. Um, Hooch or Bacardi Breezer? Hooch. <laughs> Spice Girls or All Saints? Spice Girls. Shackle Brothers or Trev and Simon? Trev and Simon? I met them. Oh my God, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Oh my God, they were unbelievable. I was so excited to meet them. Best people I've ever met. I've met Idris Elba and that was better. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence Llewellyn and Bowen or Handy Andy? <laughs> I'm going to go Lawrence Lemmy, baby. <laughs> uh, Mario or Sonic? Oh, it's hard, that is. Because <laughs> uh, I played Sonic as a kid, but I sent Mario. I'm going to go Mario because <laughs> I just literally can't, still cannot stop playing Mario 3. For the rest of my yeah. life, I am going to, on repeat, play Mario 3 forever. Because <laughs> only my friend Bryony had a NES and we had a, we had a master system. And I was so jealous because I love Mario 3 and I've committed to that for the rest of my life. <laughs> okay and finally yes minister or the thick of it the thick of it 100% watch it on repeat all the time that and Veep I'm never not watching <laughs> that was Jess Phillips MP thank you so much to Jess for coming on the show and speaking to us uh, it was a lot of fun wasn't it it was great as a first episode back as well that was yeah. pretty monumental I can't believe anyone let us talk to her <laughs> <laughs> she gets a lot of letters we ascertained that quite early on yeah um but yeah so thank you so much jess for replying to us and then for, for coming on the show uh thank you very much if you've got in touch with us during our time off this is the second series by the way we didn't make a big song and dance about that in the no we didn't because um, we're not that kind of people no we're not we appreciate there's been quite a gap between um series one and series two we've had a lot on <laughs> and we're not going to go into it now <laughs> Tw- that makes it sound so dodgy, like we've been involved in something, in a crime spree, and it we've had to lay low. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there was, 2022 was a lot, and um, yeah. so we're back now. Thank you very much for joining <laughs> us. If you want to get in touch, you can. The Dome at hotmail.com is our email address, and you can also get hold of us on Instagram, on Twitter, and on MySpace, which you are still trying to log into. Oh, God, yeah. How's it, is it? I can see you've got your laptop in front of you. Yeah, now. and I've tried multiple passwords, um, and I can't get in. Oh, really? Are you out? <laughs> yeah, no. I, I'm. I probably have them written down somewhere. They're probably stuck to the fridge with a magnet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, we have had an email about our MySpace page. Oh. Um, so this came from Thierry. This came at the end of the first series, and he said. As someone who missed the whole MySpace thing, I was all about Friends Reunited. I thought I'd take a look at what I missed and was amused that this is what greeted me when I first visited the site. Before I can view anything, it's making me agree to their upcoming changes to terms and conditions that take effect in May 2018. (laughs) (laughs) So I think his his implication is that they may have slightly taken their eye off the ball in terms of the whole MySpace thing. So maybe we don't need to feel so guilty that it's taken us two years to get the second series out. Yeah, exactly. If you would like to get hold of us, Hotmail.com. you can send us a message on any of our social medias yeah. um, do you know what stick with MySpace because we'll get into it eventually um, we should uh, we've got a couple of quite exciting things um, coming up uh, to do with the podcast 
Machantleth. Yes, so the Machantleth Comedy Festival is coming up soon um, at the end of April, and we have another live show. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah. Um, we are going to be speaking to Ria Lena on the show, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's that's going to be fantastic. What time is it? What's, give us the date and time, so let's okay. get this right. So the show is on on the 30th of April. That's a Sunday. It is a Sunday, and it's at 6pm at the Awanglindur Centre. And uh, if you came to last year's show at the Machantleth Comedy Festival, we are going to be putting out the recording of that in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, just before the festival. So you, you can get a taste of the chaos that is a live show. It was a lot of fun. It was a was lot brilliant. of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and the other thing is, am I going to mention this now? I'm going to mention this now. <laughs> I've been clearing out um, uh, basically my parents' attic. And I have found, it turns out I bought a lot of Q magazines in the <laughs> early 2000s. And uh, the charity shop near me will, won't take them. So anyone who buys a ticket will get a copy of Q magazine dated between October 2000 and about, <laughs> like, I don't know, August 2003. Ooh, do you want to give a bit of a taste of who's on one of the covers? Moby. Oh! Radiohead. Chris Martin from Coldplay. Radiohead again. There's another one. There, there was a lot of Radiohead. A in real you. sausage fest. There was, uh, yeah. Oh, was, there's Mel C, Britney yeah. Spears. Great. Alicia Keys. Oh. Um, Radiohead again. I remember that. <laughs> I think they reached a point where they knew that if Radiohead U2 or REM were on the cover, they shifted copies. Right. It really, yeah. They really hit a, like, rat <laughs> for a while. And you bought them all. <laughs> yeah, I did. I bought more than I thought, I'll be honest. I'm not even sure they're all mice. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but we're going to give them away. We'll give them away. Right. So um, if you fancy coming to a live show and leaving with, uh, you know, a bunch of album reviews for things that are probably no longer available on CD, <laughs> then uh, do come along to uh, the McCandleth Comedy Festival and the live show with Rialina. It is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely come. Uh, that's it for this week, isn't it? It is. Um, it is. Get, I think that's plenty. That's loads. Get in yeah. touch. Um, we'll be back this time next week, whatever time that is. Great. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.